0: Being a revolutionary person for Christ, and the fact that Jesus was, in one, some ways, revolutionary, although He's really pointing back to what's reality, and what's not so revolutionary was to to live like God wants us to live. That's not so revolutionary. But when the world turns everything upside down, all of a sudden, living like God and living for God and living like Christ becomes revolutionary, even though it it's really just getting back to what's reality. And what God wanted in the first place. And that song reminds me of the battle that we're all in every day. That we need to fix our eyes on Him every single day, every time we get up, because it is so easy to get through this world and, and get going in our day and just lose sight of Jesus. Matthew 4.19. If you got your Bibles with you, open up there, Matthew 4.19. That's the text... Part of the text that, that I want to key in on this morning, because in this one simple little verse, we find the, at least the first three lessons of this series. What does he say? He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In that, in that little sentence, I think there is three good parts that we can talk about. And this first lesson is going to be on one Next Sunday's going to be on the next one, and third Sunday's on the other one. The first part I see in this lesson here, in his sentence, is number one, follow me. Simple, or at least sounds simple. Then I will make you, and then fishers of men. And we've kind of talked about this a long time ago again, a similar idea here. When we talked about discipling and, and becoming that, that first person that danced, do you remember that? I don't know if anybody remembers that lesson either. The dancing guy that, that we had a video of. Remember that? Okay. And how he, he got out there and he started dancing and, and nobody else was dancing. But eventually, people were just flocking to him and they were dancing with him. And he was out there leading. Jesus is a leader. And he's saying, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Divide that up into three things. Follow me, number one. Jesus says this is a relational thing. This is going to be a relational thing with, between you and me there's a relational thing happening here. Number 2, he says, I will make you. Jesus says, there's an intentional thing here that's going to happen. You're going to we're going to develop a relationship and intentionally I am going to put things in you. I am going to to show you things. I'm going to lead you here. I'm going to teach you. And the third thing, fishers of men. Well, that's the missional part of this. This is he's saying and if you are going to follow me, if this is going to be a relationship between you and me, and you're going to actually intentionally learn from me, then what would follow? It would follow that you would do what I'm doing. You'd become like your teacher. You'd become like me, which is what? Our goal? Yeah? To be like Christ? Is it? Okay. It sounds very, very half-hearted there. Is is it our goal to become more and more like Christ every day? There you go. That sounds a little better. Yeah, we're supposed to be like Christ. And he's saying to his disciples here, look, I want, I want to have a relationship with you. Because that's where I'm going to be able to show you what I want you to do. And that's where I'm going to be able to, to touch your lives and, and, and get into your life and, and permeate your life. And from that, it's going to be a almost outflow, gen, gen, uh, genuine and, and necessary outflow that you will be like me and so you will be fishing for men just like I am fishing for men. It's, it's, it just happens that way. It's, it reminds me of the, the lesson we had not too long about Matthew 28 that, that if we are discipling then, then this is what follows. If we are being like Christ then this is what happens. This is how we live. This is how we should live. I want to I read you a quote here That I got from a book about disciple making, and I thought it was an interesting quote. It says, discipleship or discipleship making is nothing more than sharing the good news of the gospel, seeking to multiply Christ's character and priorities in others through our web of relationships. It's getting out there and it's telling the good news about Jesus Christ to the people that we know. And that sounds simple, right? Who do you who do you know? Who do you talk to? Well, do they know you're a Christian? Have they heard your story? And we're going to get to that story in a second here. But it it talks about sharing the good news. And this morning in class, we talked about the good news and and it touching people's hearts. And and Carl brought up Acts 2.38, where after Peter is preaching, it, it pricks the hearts of the people who are sitting there listening. Now, they have been we began talking about you know thinking and, and your mind and all of this and what parts of our body are responding i i am I am inclined to think that this is a holistic gospel. Jesus is a holistic God God created every part of us, so why wouldn't He want every part of us and he needs every part of us, but at the same time, this is a holistic gospel. not only does it does it hit hit here but it hits here, but like we said this morning, like Bill said this morning, if it hits here. But it doesn't hit here, we're missing something. And if it hits here, but it doesn't hit here, we're missing something. And we're not going to be fully prepared like God wants us to be fully prepared. And we're not going to to get everything out of this that God wants us to get out of it. And we may lose in the end if we have just a knowledge of him. Because plenty of people have come to the intellectual assent that, yeah, there's a God. But they haven't given him this. They haven't made that choice to say, not only is there a God, but I'm going to make him the Lord of my life. Not only is there a Jesus, but I'm going to make him the Lord of my life. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to let him make me. And I'm going to become like him. And I'm going to fish for men. And like you said, Acts 2.38, it pricks the hearts of those men, right? And what's their response? What do we do? I need to do something here. There's something I need to do. My heart is hurting. In fact, that's what that that text means. It means that the heart is just, it, it is it is. To the very core, those people have been, have been pricked. But just a few chapters over. In fact, go there um, to Acts. Because it's interesting, again, how the heart here, you, you make an intellectual ascent, and then the heart comes into play. <coughs> From Acts 2... You get this, this holistic gospel that is, has that is just made, done its work on these people at least. The ones that have said, yes, I will make Jesus my Lord and my Savior. He has got his, their hearts, their minds, their soul, their strength. He's got everything in Acts 2.38 and 2.42. And all of this shows you that these people have been infected and, and are taken over by Jesus Christ. And in chapter 5 of Acts... You see a similar statement, at least in the Greek it's more similar than the English, because my English does not exactly say the same thing. But look at verse 33. Maybe your version is different than mine. My version says, but when they heard this, and the, the they that they're talking about, is, it, this is not an Acts 2.38 situation here, right? This is, they're being told on, Peter's being told on again, that they're preaching again and teaching. So in verse 26, the captain goes along with the officers Proceeds to bring them back without violence, when they brought them and stood them again before the council, so they're going against or going in front of the council here. It's not the same audience as Acts 2. 2 or 5:33. But when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and were intending to slay them. What is, does anybody's version say something different than "Cut to the quick? Furious, Furious. Furious to, the heart. to the heart. Cut to the heart. Furious. Yeah, cut to the heart. There is a cut to the heart here, but I, I want you to see the reaction that they have. They're cut to the heart, but it, it goes the opposite direction that Acts 2.38 goes. They're, they're ready to take, take these people out and get rid of them. So, you know, any time the message, the gospel of Christ goes out, there's going to be a response, one way or the other. There's going to be some sort of response. God's going to get a return on his word in some way, shape, or form. Man's either going to say, yeah, I want that, or nope, I don't want that. You decide, and you use your your intellect. Does that make sense to me? No, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't think Jesus could be God. No. Or you go in the opposite direction. There's two different directions we can go here. And Jesus is saying here in in Matthew 4.19 to these men that he's chosen, I want you to follow me, and I want you to learn from me. I want to build a relationship with you. And that's where we're starting off, relationally. In Jesus' discipling, he starts relationally. He gets into their lives. He gets down and dirty with them. He eats with them. He talks with them. He walks with them. I know we've talked about it before. Again, the, the, the trip I took to the Philippines, the fact that you, I will do what you do. I'll eat what you eat. I'll go where you go. That's, that's the way we need to be in everyday life, too, with our friends. I'll, I'll help you move. I'll, I'll do this. I'll do that. I'm going to be there when you need me. I'm going to, in every way I can be there, I will be there. And, and what you go through, I'll go through. But it doesn't always work like that. And a lot of times I think in the church, especially, we like to be um, solutional rather than relational. Because um, it, it's easier for me to be solutional rather than it's relational. Because relational takes time. Relational takes a lot of effort. I've got to, I got to get into your life. I've got to learn you. I've got to spend time. But solutional, I can be in and out. I can fix the problem. But then again, I haven't really fixed the problem. Go over to Exodus. I want to give you one example of the Old Testament here, of being solutional rather than relational. And it's with Moses. Go to Exodus 18 for the, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you the first example, and then, I'll, then I'll show you the second one. The first example, I think, of, of Moses perhaps being um, solutional rather than relational. Of course, maybe some leeway is, is to be given here in, in Moses and his understanding of God's mission. But when he first steps out to make a move for his people, he kills an Egyptian. He buries the body and he eventually runs off. Now, Moses, I don't think, had a full grasp of God's mission, and God still had some work he was doing on him. But Moses, in, in that case, especially when you look at Acts 7, saying that he was supposing his people would know, and, and I, again, I, I often wonder, what, what's running through Moses' head? How much does he know? How much is he, is he understanding what God is wanting him to do? He's got some, it seems like to me, he's got some inkling that he is, is there to deliver his people. But how exactly? I don't know. Moses himself goes out there and he's ready to be solutional. I'm going to take care of this problem. But he hasn't been relational. He doesn't really get with the people. He doesn't get with God. He doesn't build this relationship that needs to happen in order to really affect the change that needs to be affected. And again, you can see that in Exodus 18, or yeah, 18. Excuse me, Exodus 18. After they've been uh, moved out and, and Jethro, his father-in-law comes. And Moses is having all these problems with the people, and he's hearing all of these, these uh, things that the people are bringing to him, and it's just beating him up over and over. He can't, ha- he can't handle it. It's too much for him to do. Verse 13, and it came about the next day that Moses set to judge the people. So he's, he's been doing this for a while, and he's wearing him out. But verse 14, Jethro, his father-in-law, comes and he says, What are you doing? Now, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this thing that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone as judge and all the people stand about you from morning until evening? Now, that's some wise words from Jethro. Moses is wearing himself out completely, doing what he needs to do, he thinks. But I think this is a, another case where maybe solution is trumping relation. And instead of building a team of people like Jethro, he says, Let's get, get some guys Build a team of people to help. Build a, pe- build a team of, of people that can do this work. Instead of being relational, Moses is being solutional and just, this needs to be done, I'm going to do it, let's get it done. But he accomplishes so much more when he builds teams, when he, when he brings people in and he, and he builds relationships, and they, in turn, get with people. It's just a better situation altogether. Now, I think Jesus is a similar man in a similar way. And he builds these relationships. Go over to John chapter 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Jesus challenges his disciples all the time. And it would be interesting to, if, if to go through the gospel accounts here and, and find every place where Jesus challenges, where he lays down a challenge. Uh, John chapter 135. Here's a challenge for People who want to follow. On the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked upon Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak. They followed Jesus, and Jesus turned and beheld them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you'll see. They came therefore and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day for it was about the tenth hour. Jesus says, it's not enough for you just to follow me. I'm going to actually turn around and I'm going to see what you need. Maybe they they would have been great disciples following Jesus. They were John's disciples already, so you know they have their minds set on God in some way, shape, or form. But Jesus doesn't let us just follow behind him. He turns around and he says, what is it that you want? You want me? You You want to learn more about me? Do you want to understand who I am? Well, then come and see. Come and spend some time with me. Come and get to know me. Come see where I'm staying. That, that's easy. He's not being solutional here. He's being relational. Look at verse 43 of that same chapter. The next day he had proposed to go to the fourth of Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, what? Follow me. Follow me. Come on. That, that in invitation to a relationship here. Follow me. Come here and see what I am. Come here and see what I'm doing. In fact, if we're going to be um, disciples of Christ, then that's what we have to do. Turn your Bibles over to 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. I'll give your fingers a workout this morning. Follow me to John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. If we're going to be like Christ... And as he says in verse 6, the one who says he abides in him, tell me what your text says. Must walk as Jesus did. Must walk in the same manner as he walked. He must walk the same walk that he walked. We must be able to walk that walk. Same. If, If we're going to abide, if we're going to take our dwelling place and abode in him, then we've got to walk with him. And I don't think he asks any less of us than he asked of them in Matthew 4.19. He's saying to us, too, come and see. I want you to test me out. I want you to come and see who I am and build a relationship with me and then let me put things into you and let me, let me train you, and then I'm going to send you out. And you're going to be doing what I'm doing because you are going to look like me. And sometimes I wonder if, if we I would say that the general statement of, Again, you know, in the church are sometimes being more solutional than relational in, in our programs if we need things done we get a program going but a program, at least in my experience and the ones that I've tried to start they don't always work because a lot of times it sounds good to the leadership and we're all on board and then you, then you tell the body and they say yeah, it sounds good Let, let's see how you guys do or, or you don't get any buy-in at all because you haven't really, you haven't really either sold it, you haven't even, it's, it's an approach to, to fill this gap that you need, and it sounds good, but it really doesn't meet the need. And the, meet, the need really here, I think, is relations, relationships. That if we can build relationships, then we can, we can do away with some of these programs if we're really getting into each other's lives, which, again, what takes time? takes effort, it's going to take probably more effort than I've got. It'll probably kill me. In fact, I I think it should kill us. We should be ready to to be killed for this. I'm going to give my all for this. I'm going to put every effort into this. Go over to Matthew chapter 8, another workout here. Go back to Matthew chapter (coughs) 8. Sorry. Again, I I think in Jesus being a relational person, starting with the relationship, number one, Jesus came down from creation. And he tabernacled or dwelt among us. He didn't just shout it from on high. He came actually down here and he took on a form just like ours. He became flesh and blood like us. He he, he lived with us. He he ate with us. And look at this this section here, the leper in verse 3. I'll start in verse one. And he, when he came down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and bowed down to him and saying, "Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean." That that indicates to me something about him too, that he's he knows something about Jesus, and he knows who to come to. And he's come to that man. And he says, "If you want to do this, God or Jesus, I know you can." And then verse three, and he stretched out his hand, and he touched him, saying, "I'm willing." be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. He was cleansed, gone. I find it fascinating that Jesus touches this man. He could have easily just said, I am willing. He could have healed him on the way there. He could have healed him on the way back. He could have healed him anytime he wanted to, with any, any manner he wanted to. And yet he stretches out his hand and he touches him. I think that it was very intentional by Jesus, this man who is been ostracized from society, this man who's probably lacked physical touch, might, might in this case, very well need this, this touch from his creator, his savior, saying, I'm ready. I'll cleanse you. I think that's a relational touch here, that Jesus is not just, not just here to solution this guy. I'm not going to just heal your leprosy. Not only am I going to heal it, I'm going to touch you. I'm going to put my hand on you. I'm going to show you that I love you by touching you. Jesus came down to this earth, dwelt among us, and I think he chose that to, to show that he's, he loves us. Amen. To show that he cares for us. To show what, what we can do through him. And I think Paul mentions a similar approach in, in, um, in his gospel too. Um, I don't think I wrote it down. I didn't write it down. Um, let me, I think it's 1 Thessalonians, if you want to go over there. It's either 1 or 2 Thessalonians, yeah. <clears throat> so we're, we're close. Uh, oh, that's 2 Thessalonians. I think it's, um, oh, where was it? It was. Golly, I hate it when I forget to write them down when they come to me. Um, <clears throat> part, of the, part of it is, is in verse 9 of chapter 2, but that's not the verse I was looking for. Um, is Verse 9 indicates that when they're coming to them, they're, they're being relational, but they're also not wanting to put a burden on them. They're, they're doing what they need to do to be able to support themselves, but they're coming to them and they're, they're investing their lives. And then, oh, in verse uh, verse 6 of chapter, chapter 3. Nope, that's not it either. Okay, well, I'm going to have to move on because now I can't find it. Oh. I hate it when I do that. Now the verse indicated that, that they were coming and, and they were imparting their lives into them and, and, and just living with them and showing them how to live. This is this is how you live. This you see how we we live. This is how you live. To see their lives, to share their lives together. And now I can't remember where it is. And I didn't write it down. So yeah, you just read both First uh, Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians, and then let me know which verse I missed in here. But I know it's one of those two. I remember reading it last night. It was about 11.45, and I didn't write it down because it was about 11.45. <laughs> I was thinking, oh, that, that's perfect. That's good. And then forget it. Okay. But anyway, Paul does mention in, in letters that, oh, I have come and I've shared my life with you. You've seen how I live, and I want you to imitate that. Jesus said, you've seen how I live. I want you to imitate this. And it's not a strategy, I don't think. So many times in in church growth, we want a strategy. We want a way to grow the church. But this this approach that Jesus has, I don't think is a growth strategy. It's a relation strategy. The growth does come, and I believe growth will come. And, And I remember standing here maybe almost two years ago, saying, I think growth will come. And growth has come. It hasn't come fast, but it has come. And it's going to continue to come, I believe. But it will continue to come, and it will grow, and it will will be even better if we learn how to be relational people. If we learn how to love each other, how to get in each other's lives, and how how to lean on each other, how to help each other. Because if we do what we need to do, then in 1 Corinthians chapter 3... This one I do remember. I wrote this one down. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If we do what we do, if we do what God tells us to do, Jesus shows us to do, then God's going to do what he does. And we can just leave the the other parts to God and do what we need to do and let God take care of the rest. Chapter 3, and you go back to uh, verse... I'm going to go back to verse 6. As Paul is is still debating and and telling them... You shouldn't be arguing over this or that, and, and who's who's Apollos, all of this stuff. It doesn't matter. Verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but what? God was causing the growth. Neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, but each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder. I laid the foundation and and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. Paul is saying here, it does not matter if if I planted this and this guy baptized this guy or you did or It doesn't matter which way it happens. In fact, who cares? It's God that gives the increase. We're God's fellow workers. So if we're doing Matthew 4.19, if we are following him, and we're learning how to be relational like Jesus is relational in our disciple-making, then what do you think is going to happen? Thank you. Growth. That that was was not rhetorical. What do you think is going to happen? Growth. Growth. I think think there will be growth. Because our lives will be shared with other people's lives. And they will see Christ in you. And they will hear about what Christ has done for you. And they will hear about what Christ has done for the world. And they'll hear about what Christ has done for them. That's that relational follow me, I think, that Jesus starts off with in Matthew 4.19. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. One last verse I want to show you is Luke 9. Here again, Jesus challenging people and challenging us and telling them, this is kind of how I disciple and this is how I want you to disciple. Luke 9, 23. He's laying down the gauntlet for people who say, hey, I'd like to follow this guy. He says, if anyone come, wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Now break that down too. If anyone. What does that mean? If anyone open to everybody, but what else does that mean? If anyone. somebody Conditional. Yeah, it's voluntary, right? It's a voluntary thing. Jesus is not saying, Darren, you've got to follow me. And uh, that is true. You've got to follow Jesus if you want eternal life. But Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, it's your decision. It's my decision to follow him or not. He's saying, if you want to follow me, it's voluntary. If anyone wishes to come. Again, what does that say? If you wish to come, what does that indicate? Something you need to do, do, and there's a choice that you're making. There's there's a choice that I'm making here to make somebody leader over me. I'm following that guy. I've chosen to follow that guy. I've chosen to make him my leader. There's no secret disciples out there. There's no secrets here. If you've chosen to follow me, people are going to know that you've chosen to follow me. Like back here, if they chose to follow Jesus, they knew that they chose to follow Jesus. The disciples of John, you you see the disciples of John, the disciples of John see Jesus and people see his disciples. They know who's following who. This isn't a secret society here. If anyone wishes to come after me, after me, what does that indicate? After me, not after not after, the, not after anybody else, but also not even after, not after the miracles I'm doing, but I want you to come after me. I'm doing some miracles, but, but I want you to come after me. I want you to find out who I am. I'm going to do some signs, I'm going to do some wonders, but I want you to know me, the real Jesus down here. If anyone wants, wishes to come after me, let him what? Deny himself. Dedication, dedication. Let him deny himself. And a perfect example of denying himself is that what follows right after that take up his cross daily. You ready to do that? The last part, and what? Follow me. Again, he's asking for that relation, but he's also saying at the end there follow me. Let me give you an example of everything I just told you you need to do. Because I'm going to be the example of everything I just told you you need to do. You want to see somebody take up their cross? Watch Jesus. You want to see somebody do what he just asked you to do? Watch Jesus. I think that the 923 is is very very deep in in Jesus' theology, if you will, of, of disciple making. I'm going to ask you to make a choice. And I want you to choose me. I don't want you to choose the miracles. I don't want you to choose all of this. Those things point to me but it's me that you're after and if you're looking for an example of what I'm asking you to do then just look at me mm-hmm. because I'm going to do it and then you are going to turn around and do it and you're going to be talking to other people and they're going to be seeing me in you right. yes. and then they're going to be doing the same thing I want to, I want to share with you a song that I really like it's, uh, it's on all the Christian music stations um, it's got a familiar uh, end to it because it's, it's, I think it's written with that song in mind. Um, it's called, I think it's called My Story. I didn't write down the title. I just copied the lyrics. And it says, if I told you my story, you would hear hope that wouldn't let go. And if I told you my story, you'd hear love that never gave up. If I told you my story, you would hear life Now, it's interesting here, I don't have much time left, but I I remember not too long ago, some people getting upset because a class wanted to share a book called Telling Your Story, and somebody got upset saying, no, you can't say your story, you should be telling Jesus' story, and yes, we should be telling Jesus' story, but here's the point of Jesus' story, it's... This last line in the, in the first part of the song is, you would hear life, but it wasn't mine. When I'm telling you my story, I'm not telling you about me. I'm telling you about what Jesus did for me. I'm telling you about what Jesus does in my life. It's not about Robert. It's about, that is my story. But how do, what, what vehicle would I use other than, than to tell you how Jesus helped me in my life? This is my life. I'm going to tell you where Jesus helped me, how he helped me. I'm going to tell you my story, but it's not my story that I'm telling you. It's his story that I'm telling you. It's his story, how he worked through me. The song goes on to say, if I should speak, then let it be of the grace that was greater than all of my sin. Of when justice was served and where mercy wins. Of the kindness of Jesus that draws me in. Oh, to tell you my story is to tell of him. If I told you my story, you'd hear victory over the enemy. And if I told you my story, you'd hear freedom that was won for me. And if I told you my story, you would hear life overcome the grave. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. For the grace that is greater than all of my sin, when justice was served and where mercy wins, of the kindness of Jesus that draws me in, or to tell you my story is to tell of Him. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. Matthew 4.19, I think, gives me a good indication of how Jesus discipled his disciples, and I think how we need to also disciple. We need to first follow him. Jesus touched lives by sharing his life. How do we touch lives? By sharing our life. By getting into each other's lives and sharing our life, but it always points back to Jesus what he's done in our lives so this week I'm going to pay attention to Facebook if you're on Facebook pay attention to it because I'm going to be posting something every day that will help explore the relational parts of Jesus' mission so pay attention to Facebook every day so that you can get a little part of something a scripture that, that I'm going to ask you to go look at and see some relational aspects of Jesus's mission but if you don't have Facebook, if you don't follow that, then you're just not cool. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just kidding. Facebook actually, st- I can't stand Facebook, but I still do it. But anyway, it's a platform for sharing, and that's the only reason, yeah, it's a platform. But anyway, if you don't have Facebook, I want you to maybe write these things down. There's three simple things I want you to think about and do this week. Three simple things. Number one, tell people what your life was like before Jesus. These are obviously people that you're going to have some sort of relationship with because otherwise they'd probably just say, you know, I don't have time to listen to you. So find somebody that you know and tell them what your life was like before Jesus. Jesus. Number two, tell them what led you to understand the gospel and what you did when you understood the gospel. Tell them what that good news means and what it meant in your life. And then number three, tell them what has changed in your life since you began that relationship with Jesus. Just start sharing Jesus in those three simple ways. What my life was like before, when I, when, I, when I finally got the message and, and, and heard Jesus and, and, and let him in. And then what has happened since then in my life? Just those three simple things this week. If you find somebody to, to, to talk to about that, that will go a long way in doing exactly what Jesus says in Matthew 4.19. Follow me. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. So my charge for you this week if you know Jesus, to reach out and share Jesus. Share him in any way you can. Share him in those three simple things. If you don't know Jesus, we would love to share him with you. If you're sitting here this morning and don't know him, let us take some time. Tell us, tell somebody here you'd like to know more about him. We'd love to teach you. We'd love to talk to you about our Jesus. We'd love to tell you our story about how he's changed our life. About how he took me. A man steeped in sin, washed him clean in the waters of baptism. And it's been great ever since. It's ups and downs, of course. But with Jesus Christ, I don't have to worry about the ups and downs anymore. I know I'm going to make mistakes, and so does he. His grace covers me. And oh, thank you for the grace of God. But now I live a new life, a life that is not dominated or dedicated to sin. I live a life that is proclaiming him. If I told you my story, I'd be telling you him. Talk about him this week with your friends, with your family, anybody you can as we stand and as we sing.